Hi, it's Sunday night. Again, I'm trying to catch up on my backlog. I'm going to do another one uh, built on top of what I said this morning. And this will be the second one for Mishpachas Stavansky, um, for whose support we are grateful. And let's get right into it. Uh, I mentioned before that in Bashal, all the rest of it, <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu is uh, describing Chazal in an interesting way in the Medish Rabbah. It's not the same thing as the Rambam. And, of course, in Parshas Yisro, Moses gets the Ten Commandments. Matter of fact, there are different versions of the story of Ten Commandments. Now, mind you, he doesn't get the Shnei Luchos, he doesn't get the tablets, that's in Kisiso, but he gets the Ten Pronouncements. I didn't even look at the Parsha yet, but everybody knows that, right? He gets the Aserus Adibros. Um And how that works is a million Mepharshim. Um, I've spoken in the past about the Rambam and the Moravuchim very famously, where he says, only Moshe could understand the the Aseris Adibris, The others can only stand the first two. Understand the first two, uh, and he tries to explain it, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> and the point I'm trying to make, I, I started to mention before, I'd like to develop this idea, is that there in in Jewish tradition, the figure of Moshe Rabbeinu is certainly a Superman figure, no question about it. But on what basis? Um. On what basis? Is it that Moshe was smarter, or as we would say today, had more zitzfleisch or vanya, that kind of thing, and therefore he devoted himself to Chachma in ways that others did not, and therefore he reached high madregas, the highest? That's, yeah, I think the way most people would imagine it. Uh, or is there something else? You know, was it his, uh, the pain he felt at the suffering of his brothers? Which is a theme that repeats itself a number of times. Again, uh, it says that Vayar uh, when Moses was a prince of Egypt and he didn't have to do nothing to help the Jews, Bayar it says, right? He walked among the slaves. Siri is let's say forty years old according to one opinion. So until forty he didn't do it. Okay? But at forty he did, something snapped in him, we don't know, you know. Uh, and when he saw the suffering of the Klal Yisrael and the Avodas Aperech, he said, Chavoli Aleichem, I'm so, I, I feel so so pained over your suffering. I wish I could die in your place. Because the work you're engaging in, in the salt mines, or the, or the brick pits, more exactly, is the worst, that's the worst uh, back-breaking labor. But he knows and saved Messiah and he himself pitched in to try to physically help them. Aye. So if you go just like that, then you say like this, Moshe sort of abandoned his position and joined the Jews. <clears throat> I remember the kid, they had a movie, something like that, right? He just started, started working with them. Uh, in which case, Imamish was Mishtat B'Tzar Shal Yisrael. Here's a different opinion, which is, the Moshe finessed it. I'm sorry. He saw that the Egyptians sadistically had put a heavy burden on a young kid and vice versa. And therefore it was, um, uh, un, they were unused to it. Old and young. And he left his uh, chariot. And he organized that the heavier burden should be borne by the young people. Uh, 
and not as the sadistic addition Egyptian taskmasters had done, which is give the old slaves heavy stuff to kill them. You understand? To kill them. Now, I guess power didn't want him directly killed. So they would say, it's a work accident. You know? And Moshe could see it's a corrupt system. And even according to them, I mean, this one implies, even according to Paro's, you know, orders, they're not being carried out because of sadistic uh, slavery uh, administrators. You know, that kind of thing. Which, is, by the way, is, is endemic to the slavery system around the world. You know, it's always like that. Remember Uncle Tom's Cabin? You know. Now, um... So Dargan Shalom, he left his Dargon, his high statue on his chariot, or his dragon, really, which was a standard for the pharaohs. And he went to organize the, the work to make it more efficient. In other words, the heavy burdens go to the young, and the light burdens go to the old. And it looked like he was helping power, because he said, you idiots, you're giving the wrong burdens to the wrong people, you're going to kill off the slaves, do it the right way. His real kavana was to spare the tsar you know, and the older ones, especially. I'm impressed that you gave up your position, your ASIC, and you went to look at Sarshi Yisrael. So notice, first of all, you give a darn, <laughs> you know what I mean? Until 40, or according to another opinion, until 20. Either way, he never paid attention. I don't drive downtown like they say, you understand? I don't want to see that stuff. But now he did, because somehow or other realized that he's a Jew. And you act like a brother to them. So listen closely. Listen closely. I, God, will abandon or put aside the Elyonim and the Tachtonim, and I will speak to you directly. In other words, we're going to have a direct communication, you and I. Uh, and he even adds on, this is a nice, this is a nice vart. That when he came first time to the burning bush. So, the way we translate it normally is that God saw that he turned aside to look at the burning bush. And he says, why is the bush burning and the, and the bush is not consumed? But midrashically, it's a very beautiful word. He said, That's the opposite. It, not the opposite, is different. That Hashem summoned him to the burning bush from being a shepherd for the father-in-law because earlier he had seen that Moshe had had turned aside from the Pharaoh, uh, Rolls Royce, Leros, to see the sufferings of the Jewish slaves and try to help them out the little that he could. Meaning, mitoch, not, it doesn't mean, this is Midrashic interpretation, it doesn't mean he spoke to him, you know, from the, uh, uh, the snare, from the bush, but it was because of the, you understand? Uh, because of the bush. And, and in other words, it's a way of saying, because he saw his achrayis for Kali Yisrael, as we would say. Uh, Moshe in general has this midah. Again, it's very famous. I know I've quoted this in the past, but hopefully you forgot that in the beginning of Va'era, it says, you know, that Moshe finally, after all this recruiting, goes to Paro and it says, let my people go. And Paro says, not only am I going to let them go, I'm going to cut the the, the strong and double the bricks, make it harder for them. And the Jewish people say, You made it worse for us. And Moshe turns to Hashem and says, Loma Rios, Loma Zel, Loma Zel, Shachtani. Right? You know, what do you, uh, you know, you, What do you do, God? You made it worse. All right, there's a mess up. And Hashem says, At the end of Shmos, you know, now you'll see what's going to happen. 
And then the next pasuk is Vayidaber Elohim El Moshevayim Elovani Adonai. So the first half is Vayidaber Elokim, which is Midas Adin, and the second half is Vayomer Elovani Hashem, which is Midas Arachim. Vayomer as opposed to Vayidaber, and Hashem as opposed to Yukivuk as opposed to Elokim. And he goes on to say that this pasuk can be applied to Shlomo and to Moshe. I'm not going to go the whole thing. You can listen last year, two years, three years ago. I've done this medish more than once because it's a good medish, and it says. That Oshik, which can mean um, a lot of things, but Oshik can mean, uh, what's the right word over here? Uh, oppression, usually. Uh, but it doesn't apply to Shlomo, really. Uh, I guess you can learn like Oshik, you, you know, that, that, that too much wealth is no good. Because Shlomo goes ahead and has too much uh, wives and gold and silver and horses. And he says, because I can rationalize. I know the reason is because lo yasur levavo. You know, lo yasur levavo. And uh, I won't do, I need, I need, I can handle it. I can have a, a thousand wives and I won't go up to there. Of course he did. And he goes on and on about that. But they can also apply to Pasuk the Medish says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay? Because Shlomo Taka got punished. Right? Shlomo got punished. And Moshe did not. Why didn't Hashem strike him down over there? And, the, and and he goes on to say like this, um, that Masha uh, that a Kadosh Baruch was angry at Moshe, right? Lomarios uh, Lomazeh, okay. And Hashem said, "I told you first to be a process will harden the heart of Pharaoh." Aniach Hazek is leif paro, Moshe lo shomer zadaver el bole hischakim alzeres a Kadosh Baruch Moshe had been told earlier the burning bush. That there's going to be a process, and Paro will, uh, you know, first say no a bunch of times until he finally says yes. And here, the first display of this, Moshe lost him, screaming at Hashem, etc., etc., etc. Right? So, uh, according to this interpretation, when it says in the Pussy in Kohelis that uh, Moshe had all this das, it turned into sichlus because he thought he knew how Hashem operates. Therefore, he's criticizing Hashem for messing up on the first, but even before the plague start, and this was a sin. Um, right? How can you be mahar against against Hashem? And so Hashem, the midas adim, wanted to punish Moshe. That's shot. Vayidaber Elokim El Moshe, Vayidaber and Elokim is both lost in midas adim. So you talk to me that way. I'll nail you. But then Hashem changes his mind, right, according to this. It says, He saw that what what caused Moshe to lose his temper and talk foolishly to the bone no shell Olav, the master of the universe, was not because Moshe was being arrogant or hoity-toity or anything like that. But he couldn't stand to see the suffering of the Klai Yisrael in the Vodas Perech. Again, And that's why the Pesach says, In other words, eh, let him go. He He's wrong, but he, it's coming from a good place. So according to these, these are all from Shemos Rabbah. 
so according to this midrashic approach, there's nothing wrong with the midrashic approach. Midrashic um, approach, what made Moshe different was his empathy, not his superior intellect, or not that he devoted himself to philosophical speculation and got beyond Kadmus Olam and all that kind of stuff, but his empathy. No, is this a Hasidic shot? I don't mean that to be funny. I'm serious. It's an it's emotional shot. What made Moshe great is obviously Yisrael. His inability to see the Tzarsha Yisrael. Uh, and that excused a lot. You understand? That excused a lot. Now, what did we say before? Here in, in Bo'era it says, that's why Hashem didn't kill Moshe right here and there. And by the way, right after this event, when Hashem calms down, so to speak, and says, a few psukim later, it says, I'm ordering you to take charge of the Jewish people, like I mentioned before, because I, and what it means is, I see you've got it. You understand? They're going to give you a hard time, and all the rest of it, they're going to give you a hard time, but you can, you, you've got what it takes. I think, I think, I think, I think, that this is probably what it means, on of Mikolodom, on of Mikolodom, that Lagabi, the rest of the Klai Yisrael, you know, Moshe had this sympathy. Wherein lies the sympathy? <clears throat> was it simply because he's a Jew and anybody's a Jew? That's a little too modern Hasidic. He had seen the suffering they'd undergone, like I mentioned this morning. And after you've seen that, you can't lose your temper at these people. You understand everything. You understand? And so then he leads them um, through Bo and Bishalach until you get to Yisro, you get to Arsinai. Uh, what happens to Arsinai, as we all know, so Moshe goes and uh, there's a whole scene where, uh, you know, B'nai are at the foot of the mountain and Moshe is told to come to the top of the mountain, at least until the Ten Commandments are pronounced. At the last moment, Hashem said, go down the mountain, right? And by this time, Moshe is sort of a little more comfortable in the, uh, in the situation and he saw that he'd gotten away with uh, screaming at Hashem, uh, before, because it was out of a sense of concern for the Kali Yisrael, right? And that's why I always say many times, I know I've done this in the past, when God said, I'll appear in, three, in two days, Moshe said, make it three days, <laughs> right? Make it three days. Right? Hosef, Moshe, Yomi, Daita. We all remember that from the Gemara, right? And I remember the Gemara in Shabbos says, how do you know Hashem agreed? Because he showed up in three days. <laughs> you know what I mean? Showed up in three days. And again, what was the idea? They need more time. He said, what do you need time? I'm giving you 48 hours. I know these people, the schleppers, whatever. Remember, a few weeks ago, they were in Egypt. They were suffering terrible. A year ago or whatever, your mom was suffering. Give him an extra day. And Shem said, okay, I'll give him an extra day. I, I hear the part, right? And then you pronounce the Ten Commandments. Again, you pronounce. You don't give the tablets. You pronounce the Ten Commandments. This is prior to the 40 days and 40 nights. And, um, and Moshe is the one... Uh, the Chazal say, the Rambam is going off of Chazal, who says that, you know, uh, and we know the story of the Chumash, by the way, in, in Vaschana and so forth, where they hear the word of God and they say, oh, we can't handle this, right? You know, we can't handle this. We're going to die. You take, you be the intermediary. And Moshe does it in one fashion or another. And the question becomes, well, then what's going on? Why did Hashem do it this way and all the rest of it? And uh, the, what I'm trying to say is, we see from this midrashic school of thought a emotion zach with Moshe Rino, not an intellectual zach, an empathy for it, and not uh, you know a uh, a brilliant math and science mind. 
type of art. It's very interesting because the Torah itself, if you think about it, um, has all kind of aspects to it, of course, being beyond infinite. You know, it says 70 faces of Torah. Maral says, it don't mean 70, it's just expression for, for beyond, beyond. You know, uh, infinite. Think about that, infinite meanings to the Torah. And um, when Hashem uh, is 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 uh, giving the Seres Adibris and all the rest of it, so, you know, Moshe is the one who ends up hearing everything, and the others, one of them is a shliach of some sort or another. Right? I remember that Pesach. So, it's either here or in Vizchan, it doesn't matter. And, uh, so you have an interesting situation. The people are kind of confused. That's why they turn to Moshe. And according to Medrash, Hashem is willing to, you know, abandon his usual policy of speaking through intermediaries. Uh, what was the lesson before that we said? Ani aniach is called I think. I think that was the, the lesson of the Medrash here. One second. So that says Hadib Rose. According to this Midrashic interpretation, is the shot that a person can't ordinarily handle such a speech. The Israel said, This is too much. Right? You can't handle it. And I'm not saying they're wrong, you can't handle it. Moshe also can't handle it, but as a matter of grace, God allows him to handle it as a reward for his empathy. Okay? Because you concerned yourself with the sufferings of the others, I will speak to you. In other words, I'm going to create, I'm going to make you Moshe Shazim. Hashem can do anything. I'm going to make you Moshe different. And you'll be able to hear me talk, whatever that means. You'll be able to hear me talk and not die. Right? You'll, you'll, you'll be able to take it. And so for the others, it's enough to hear one or two two, two dibras, and they realize they can't handle it, but they know that Hashem is a real Messias and all that. And then they'll, and, and like the Ramah says, they, they cease talking to Moshe, and Moshe will give her the other stuff. Uh, but it's a result, it's a reward for the empathy, for the emotion, emotional engagement, uh, which Moshe seems to be unique in. Not Aaron, not Miriam. No, it's later on when Hashem screams at Aaron and Miriam for saying Lashon against Moshe, he says, you know, Umar below Bechidos. I speak to Umar below Bechidos. Meaning, he's better than you. You guys are tzaddikim and all that, no question about it. But you don't have this kind of empathy. Right? Because when you were in Egypt, you didn't go out to check out the others and help help the slaves in the field. Especially if you hold the shot that Moshe actually participated in the slavery to try to help out a little bit. You know, Aaron and Miriam are not recorded as having done that. I'm not trying to knock them, but I'm just saying what's said about Aaron and Miriam, you don't find what they said here about Moshe. Now, you go to... Now, here's the part that fascinates me. I remember uh, that when you get to... Uh, for some reason, I'm into the Medrash this week. Uh, I've been, I did for many years. Uh, in Kisisa, when you finally get the Ten Commandments. So... So the process, of course, begins in Parshat Yisro when they hear on Shavuos the pronouncing of the Ten Commandments, or at least some of them. And then, as you know, comes the process of 40 days and 40 nights. And then, 
on Shavuot of Thomas, Moshe comes down with the second luchos, and the fun starts with the egos of and the breaking of the luchos and all the rest of it. So the matter says in Vayitin al Moshe kichalosol daberito, the word kichalosol is a little unusual. I mean, I, I, we can all figure out, we can come up with a pshat lechalos. I mean, we know what that means, but it is unusual. And whenever it's an unusual Hebrew word. The Medish plays with it because they see this as part of the Shivan Panam Torah, that they're not only telling you, you know, the plain meaning, but they're also pointing certain interesting factors. And it's Amr Rabbi Avohu. And I know I've touched on all these things in past years, but you don't remember this. And anyway, not the way, not the point I'm making today. Amr Rabbi Avohu, Kol Arbaim Yom, Shalosa Moshe when the 40 days and 40 nights. No, it was right after. Uh, the Aserah said uh, uh, Dibras are pronounced. And like at the end of our parsha, when Moshe goes up the mountain, right, by himself, and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights, Lechem lo'achal ma'im lo'shaso. It's ha'yilom atovah So what was going on over there? So it says Moshe was learning and forgetting. And the reason is because it's too much. It's physically too much. Now you tell me like this, Any, nothing is physically too much. It's not true. It's physically too much. I always make this point in my history classes. The study of history cannot be a science. Okay? Uh, the study of, of history cannot be a science. Because, um, uh, I mean, a real science. Because you can't get all the facts. It's, it's, beyond, it's beyond possibility. You couldn't even tell me every single datum of the last year of your life from your point of view and all point of view of all the people you affected. The number of facts or points run into millions and zillions I'm not exaggerating. I'm I'm saying I'm serious, uh, because you have to tell me everything. In science, you have to know all the data, and it's not possible. I'm not saying it's a pain in the neck. It's not possible. Get it? There's too many data. Suppose I told you uh, every single fact that happened on October seventh with the Hamas attack, from every single person, every single point of view, and how it affected every Jew around. The the the, the, the facts run up to the millions. And suppose I, Louis Sura, I gave you a book with millions of pages. I mean, you couldn't read it. I, I, that's not, again, that's not a, a, a statement of rhetoric on my part. That's a fact. You cannot read that much. So history, obviously, is, is pick and choose. Do you get what I'm saying? Even though I'm a great historian, and I know how to take what I argue are the important facts and leave out the unimportant facts, which is an argument I'm making, uh, you know, so I don't have to tell you where every soldier went to the bathroom in the Battle of Gettysburg. You understand? Uh, even though they're facts, you see. So I'm picking the important facts and arranging them in such a way that mystically you get a, you get a feeling that you actually were there and you understand what happened at the Battle of Gettysburg or whatever it is. Because I'm a Pulitzer Prize winning Gavaldi historian, you know that sort of thing. So as soon as you start telling me something that has millions and millions and zillions of facts, billions of facts. It's beyond the comprehension. You can't end it. And according to Rabbi Avohu, the famous Amora, he says that Moshe was up there um, for 40 days and 40 nights. He learned it, but he forgot it. No, it was overload. He couldn't handle it. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Rabbi Avohu, I've been through the semester, and I don't remember a thing. I've had students like that. <laughs> no, no, really. Any uh, day of so what Hashem do? So Hashem simply went shazam, and miraculously, it gave it to Moshe. And Moshe 
had something that was impossible, but it became possible anyway. Did he give the Torah as a matona? Which means without having to, to, to do Haravanya, without having to do Chazara, and have to memorize, and to know all the, the facts, one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. Now, uh, that also is, but still it's not possible. If it's a million facts, think about think about what I just said, a million. I don't think you cop a million, okay? And let alone a hundred million, you know. So, uh, the matter says, he called Torah Moshe, but it's not possible. And the way I just told you about the Battle of Gettysburg, it's not possible to get all the facts. And by the way, really what it means over here is, and Moshe knew about uh, cars and the uh, internet and all, I mean, you got to know all the facts, everything in the Torah. Um, the Pusik said the Torah is bigger than the ocean and the, and, and, and the land. <coughs> Meaning it's, it's, beyond, it's, it's beyond countability. The number of factoids you have to know and svaras are like endless. And, and that really, think of the word endless. Well, I brought him the Torah. You're trying to tell me, told him in the Torah. Ella Klomim, Klomim, do Moshe. But he rather told him, Klomim, heavy kechalos ol dabrito. According to his shot, Vaitena Moshe kechalos ol dabrito means that he gave him Klomim. Knows Hashem said, I'll give you to Matona. But I can't tell you everything because even miraculous, knows as a human, is not capable of doing this. Just like God says later on, you can't see my face. Even though I like you, it's not possible. You know, it's not a possible. Consequently, same thing over here. So I give it to Klolem. So according to this, uh, according to this, uh, the, what do you call it? How should I put it? When when Moshe, you know, gets the Torah, uh, he gets rules. <clears throat> And then you apply the rules on your own. This is, of course, Shittas Rambam, which is obviously based on this Medrash. It's very rational. Because I'm trying to make the case today that there are two schools of thought, at least. Maybe there are more. As far as I'm thinking tonight, as I'm doing these words, there are two schools of thought. It's quite different. How do you understand the Kabbalah Satoru? The Maimon HaSinai? The Aserah Zadibras? Right? One says, in the Rambam fashion, you have a supreme intellectual effort. And even then, it's beyond human com- capacity. But Hashem gave him as a matona, I would say here, all your day, giving him klolem. You get it? So if you understand the principles behind the laws, then you can apply them yourself. So according to this, Moshe Rabbeinu never heard of a car. But he understands what fire is better than you and I. Let's, let's assume now that it's an open and shut case that electricity is fire, without getting into the technicalities of that child. Let's assume that, you know, that uh, turning on a car is a fire, or turning on a light is a fire. So Moshe understood everything there is about uh, fire, and therefore he can apply it to the case of, of, uh, you know, of cars and this, that, and the other, and he would know what to do with the LED lights and all this other kind of stuff you hear about all the time. It's not my area, but you know what I mean, okay? Now, uh, this is the way the Rambam would set up, that Moshe devoted himself amazingly to, I would say, clearing out of his mind all the wrong uh, information out there, uh, which was a, a Avodah's Perich itself, a mental Avodah's Perich, all the gods of Egypt and all this other kind of stuff, but also all the stupid ideas of the monotheists before him, because they thought that, you know, uh, uh, there must be a reason 
that God does, you know, uh, what's the right word? Tzadik Varola Varosho Atovlo. Not getting to the point that God created reason. You, you see what I'm saying? So he's beyond, beyond, beyond. And it's it, it was quite an Olympian feat. But Moshe pulled it off, and that's why he's the Makabla Torah. And that's why he could hear the, the... He was mentally prepared, intellectually prepared, to um, to receive the Torah, where the others weren't. So Moshe had a superior education, one for another. Where exactly God is not clear, but nevertheless he did. Uh as opposed to, to the slaves of Egypt, you know, who left, the Hebrew slaves, don't be surprised that he could handle the encounter of God in a way that they could not. Mentally prepared. This is an aristocratic, um, what's the right word, intellectualist attitude. Well, surprise, surprise, the Rambam. And the way the Rambam in the Yud Gimbal Ikrim describes Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, not the Animamans, the thing the Animamans is, is based on. He says... That the seventh is so, you know, this is in his famous essay in the Pirish Mishnah called Hakdam Perchelik. And the seventh of the principles is Nevuz Moshe Rabbeinu, Shenamin. I'm translating from the Arabic. I'm reading a Hebrew translation. The Rambam wrote the Pirish Mishnah in Arabic. Shenamin, Shehu Avim, Shekhan, Nevim, Shemach, Fonim, Achim, Moshe, the greatest uh, prophet of all time. Kulam Tachtamal, everyone without exception was inferior to Moshe. Uh, in my in, in level, he's the greatest person ever lived in terms of what he's masik from knowledge of God, as far as a person can. More than ever anyone ever did, or ever anyone ever will. That's his way of uh, shutting out Mohammed. You get it? You know that was the whole question at that time. So, and you have to believe. This is part of Yud Gimel Ikrim. If you don't believe this, you're a kaifer, get it? So, uh, you have to believe, the Ramah argues, ki hu al v'sham higil his alusim anoshas, the Moshe Rabbeinu, at least, at Harsinai, and when he was talking to God, he, higis alusim anoshas, his superiority to regular humans reached the point, atshahisig amalim lechusis, that he hit the level of malachim, Right? So when Moshe was turned on, you know, he was mentally, and that's the only thing that counts to a philosopher, he was mentally at the level of a malach. There was no barrier, he puts there was no curtain that he didn't tear open and penetrate. And there was no impediment that succeeded in blocking him. And he had no chesarm whatsoever in his understanding of Hashem. And any zich in him was bottle. All the koches all the imaginary faculties. Because after all, maybe Moses imagined what he heard. Or he imagined how God looked or what God said. No, it, he got to the point that he was able to eliminate that from him. His sensory and, uh, and uh, imaginative fa- faculties. All yet pure like reason. He just was a seicho. Well, he was just a seicho. See it? To the Rambam and the philosophers, it doesn't get higher than that. I mean that literally. It doesn't get higher than that. You get rid of all the emotion. You strip it away because the emotion is false or can have falseness. I can like you. I can dislike you. And to the degree that I like or dislike, I'm expressing chesronas. Because who knows why I like you and I don't like you. And 
it might not be true. See, might not be scientifically true. The seichel is scientifically true to the Rambam. That he could speak to Hashem, uh, you know, without the Malach. And he goes on and on to talk about this sort of thing. But you see what I'm saying? Moshe was able, as interpretation, and I want to remind you, Lafila Rambam, if you don't believe in what I just said, you're a Kaifer. <laughs> okay? Lafila Rambam. Uh, now, that is not what we saw in the Medrash. Moshe sure as heck did not, it was not just a Seichel Bavad. If he would be a Seichel Bavad, he never would have reached the Madriga that he ever reached. The Kayach of Moshe was his, his lave, his obviously Israel, if you want to call it that, his empathy for the others. You understand? In other words, he properly and admirably channeled his emotions till he felt the Tzara Klai Yisrael. And all those Midrashim I just showed you, Vayar Hashem Kisar Laros, that Hashem said, oh, you're emotionally uh, concerned with the, with the rest of the Jews? Then you, I want to talk to. I mean, I talk to you directly. So it's your tzidkis, I guess. It's precisely the emotion. So you have, it seems to me fascinating. On the one hand, you have Moshe, the ultimate seichel, who, you know, uh, sort of surgically removed all emotion. And then you have, remember I saw a movie once, the guy long ago, and the guy was in the British intelligence. I'm like, I'm going back decades. And um, he said, I don't want your emotion, I want your brain. Okay? I, could, I think they were trying to sink to Bismarck or something like that. And he said, I, want, I just want a brain. You know, figure out how to sink this ship. So, according to that, he's just a Seichel. Get it? According to Medrash, Seichel ain't the Vart. <laughs> you get it? Seichel ain't the Vart. No. When Moshe cried, because he saw the tzara of Kali Yisrael. When Moshe lost it and screamed at Hashem because he couldn't stand to see the sufferings of Kali Yisrael. When Moshe, you know, intervened personally for the different slaves and all the rest of it, try to help him out, that's when it pained him, when it bothered him, that was his nakuda. You understand? The Seichel, in the end of the day, the Seichel isn't good enough anyway because 40 days and 40 nights, if Hashem didn't grant it to him as a Shazam, as a, as a matona, as, as the matter says, yeah, he wouldn't be able to uh, the chabit. The same way, when later on he tries to figure out sichlius wise, you know, show me your face. Tzadik Varolo, Rosh Hashem says you can't can't do it. <laughs> you understand? Know it's it's a logical contradiction. You can't something that's beyond hasogus. You can't be masig if you're going the the sichel route, right? If you're going the other route, then Hashem give it to matona. You follow? Going the other route, Hashem can say, despite what you just said, and, your, and despite your limitations, I I like your attitude so much. I'm just gonna break the rules and give it to Matana. Um, I remember. I'm going a little bit too long on this, but I'll close down in a minute. I remember if you look at the end of the Masilsi Sharm in the Shire Kadusha, he says the people can reach a Kadusha, and then you know they're thinking about God twenty four seven. That's his idea of Dvekas. And he says like this. And it really is beyond human capacity. You know, let me, let me get to it. Hold on. Here it is. It's uh, chapter 26 in the Masil Sisharm. First, you have to put in full effort on the human end. But at the end, you, it, you'll, you can't reach it. But Hashem can grant it to you as a gemul, as a grace, as a present. 
תחילוסו השתדלוס, סוף המתונה. היינו, תחילוסו מה שונה מקדש עצמו, and you're מקדש עצמו as far as you can get, but there's a limit to how much you can מקדש עצמו. וסוף המה שקדש מוסו. But the סוף is that they will take you beyond your limit. Okay? And, uh, and that's, you know, no, it's not surprising to hear that from a, from a, um, uh, a mystic, you know, from the Lutzato. But still, your part, he says, is the Devekis. You have to train yourself to think about God at 24-7. I mean, really, 24-7. But it's actually beyond uh, the ability of man to do. The Rambam says Moshe could do it a, a little bit. But the uh, Lutzato says anybody can. He covet whom he menaced beyond him. Sof sof chomri hu basavadam. The human being has limitations as being chomer and basavadam. Al kina marchin she sof hakadushim atonah. Ki mashi yuchal hodam lasas who ishtados arishim beredifas hayidia amitis asmodas askol pekadushas amaisa. You do your half. Achayidia achasof kadosh baruch yad yichil b'derek hazeh shechaviz aleches bo v'yashalov kadushas v'yikacheu. Right? That which is, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, naturally impossible. Hashem can surmount the natural, the scientific limitations. So, uh, the Torah itself is a combination, if you think about it, of the intellect and the uh, and the emotions. Uh, there are different dudes out there. Uh, oh my God, it's thirty-seven minutes. You know something? Maybe I'll, I'll uh, let me let me close this down now, and maybe we'll return to this tomorrow if I have time. Take a look at the parsha and follow this up. Uh, so once again, thank you to Mishpacha uh, Szymanski. It went way over time, uh, but I, I, I it's, it's an, it, it, let's put it this way: it's a very important to in my opinion.